Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I know we've been in this the last few weeks. Uh, sorry, but that's why the Word is living and active. You can keep drinking from the same fountain and He says you'll never thirst again. You just can't say, well, I've had enough of that one. No, it's just more and more and more. And today is a day of celebration. These individuals who are going to be water baptized today are declaring before their friends and their families, just like Paul did in Galatians, where he says, it's, I no longer live, but now Christ lives in me. And today we're going to get to see that symbolic dying to self, the old life, the old man, the sinner dead, and alive again in Christ. And that's the title of today's message is Sinner to Saint. Sinner to Saint. And the word saint is not just for the elite holy ones. As a matter of fact, that was a term, title, description of the, all the believers. And somehow we've pushed it back to a meeting that's just the holy elite ones. It certainly is not me. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who are in every place, who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've said that divine yes to Jesus and entered into this covenant relationship with him, you are a saint. Why? Because you've taken on his name, just like in a marriage. You've entered and you said yes, the divine yes to him. You entered into this covenant relationship. Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've taken on his name. Old man is gone. The old you is gone. All things, behold, all things have become new. You've taken on his name. You are a saint. So let's read in Romans chapter 6. Starting with verse 1. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Let's just hold on a second. What shall we say then? It's just like if it says, therefore. You need to know why it's there. Okay? So then, uh, what shall we say then? You need to know what he was saying to know what shall we say then. Right? What he was saying, if we just back up even a couple verses, says the law was added so that the trespass might increase or the sin might increase. The law was added so that the sin might increase. Well, what does that mean? Means that, and he ex described it in chapter uh, five, that through the one man, when Adam sinned, sin came into the world. And everyone born after Adam, which includes you and me, just in case I know some of us are old, but you're not that old. Okay, Anna, you're not that old. All of us since then were born into sin. 
But they didn't know it was sin. Why? Because there was no law that stated this is sin. Kind of like I told you a while ago. You know, you can be driving down a road and just because you don't see a speed limit sign does not mean there's not a speed limit on that road. Right? You are still responsible to keep your car under that speed limit. And if the police officer pulls you over and you are going over that speed limit, you can't you know, plead the fifth or plead ignorance. You can't say, sorry, I didn't know. It doesn't matter. So God added the law so that they would know right from wrong. So the minute he added the law, it says sin increased. Why? Because everybody was aware. Oh, crap. You know, right? I didn't realize that. So he said, listen, going on there, verse 21, uh, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Continue on. Remember the letter that was written in the Bible, they didn't have chapter breaks, so continue to read on. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. No way. Forget it. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Listen to this. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore... Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know it's living, it's active, it's spirit, it's life. 
And we ask right now that you breathe that life into us. Like Amy prayed, Lord, that you would tune our ears into hearing you today. Open our hearts to receive from you today. God, that this day would mark a day like never before. That we'll go out from here changed, renewed, refreshed, restored, empowered to live as you created us, formed us too, as the very image of God. In Jesus' name, amen. The old saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Has anybody ever heard that? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, it's good for the new believer as their confession, but not as the mature believer. Because the divine yes, when you took on his name, you left that old man. He's dead. He's buried. He's gone. You're no longer a sinner. You are a saint. Yes, saved by grace. Empowered by grace. Carrying his name. But you're no longer a sinner. You sung it this morning, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. You once were lost, but now you're found. You once were a wretch. Yes, but now you're a saint. Why? Because you took on his name. Because of his amazing grace. The words, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin. These words confirm that it is your choice to sin or not sin. Because I've actually had people, you got to help me. It just happens. No, it doesn't. It doesn't happen. It's a choice. You choose to do it. Can you mess up? Yeah. What do you do when you mess up? Repent. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. And continue to go on. You don't lay wallowing in your failure. Right? Yes. You will sin. But you don't have to. And I don't have time to go into all that. You'll even read Paul's statements, you know, that... You know, the blood of Christ cleanses you. You know, you don't have to sin. But if you do sin, you don't have to. That's why Jesus told the woman who was about to be put to death for her sins, said, go and sin no more. He told the man that he healed by the pool. Now go and stop sinning or something worse is going to come on you. It's a choice. You choose. Do not let Sin reign in your mortal bodies. Do not offer yourself to sin. It's your choice. The practice that you need to constantly recount the miserable wretch that you are is idolatrous, to say the least. Why? Because it takes your eyes off the price and puts them on what was purchased. And not on the purchase price. Jesus on the cross redeemed us from all wickedness. 
So when you constantly have to pull your eyes off the cross and back onto yourself, look at me, I'm wretched, I'm horrible. You know, and when you go into the stories, which I, I slipped into that, I really did. When I first gave my heart to the Lord, I, I mean, for years I thought I had to recount in detail how miserable of a wretch I was so that you can understand how good God is. Well, that was fine, except, it, you know, I was spending 20 minutes on, you know, remembering and explaining what a horrible wretch I was. And thanks be to God, he saved me by grace. Amen. You know, where instead of just saying I was a miserable, I once was lost, but Jesus found me. Oh, a wretch. Is there any sin greater than the other? No. He's all wretches. Just like I was a wretch. <laughs> but you don't have to keep wallowing in it. I'm horrible. I'm miserable. Who am I, Lord? I mean, can you just imagine if you had a child who constantly came to you every day throughout the day explaining how miserable rotten they are. And you keep trying to extend grace to them and mercy and love and forgive You know, there's nothing. You really didn't do anything wrong, you know, yesterday. Why are you begging me to forgive you and have mercy on you because you're so horrible? What? You know, where is it that we begin to walk in his righteousness? Where is it that we begin to walk in his divine favor? Where is it that we begin to walk as he walked? You know, when is it time for that? Because Satan does not care how much you go to church. He don't care how high you jump and how long you dance and how much you sing as long as it's all about you and not about him. As long as he can keep you focused on you and not about them. The practice that you can continue to live in sin because you are not under law anymore now, you're under grace, is... Well, that's just a distorted grace. It's not true grace. That's the twisted enemy's view of grace. You notice that he can't create anything. He's a created being himself. There is no divine good and evil, neck to neck, fighting it out. God could just, you know, breathe out, and, you know, like a booger in the nose and blow out Satan right away. You know, it's come on. Really? There, no, there isn't. And so what he does is he takes everything that God's created, which, by the way, if you didn't know, is everything. Everything. And everything holds together in him, for him, by him. Everything. And so Satan goes around and twists everything. I mean, come on, he's been doing this from the beginning, did God really say? He twists it. Oh, so God has grace that covers us and, you know, we're not under law anymore. So let's just twist that a little bit. Oh, now go ahead and do whatever you want to do. Can't you just see the enemy behind that? Uh, the, the whole idea that, <laughs> that God is in control, right? Do you believe God is in control? Yes. That comes from the scripture that says God will work out everything. For the good of those, to those who love him, right? God is in control. I've actually had people say, well, that's why we don't even need to pray anymore because God's in control. 
It's, if it's his will, it will happen. Well, then why are people slipping into hell? See how he twists that? Satan will come around and twist that just a little bit, and it will sound really good until you speak it out and start reasoning it within the context of the whole Bible. Wait a minute. No, things are happening outside of his will. He does not will that any would perish, but that all would come to what? Life. So yes, things do happen outside of his control. It's a twist on the truth to think that you don't have any say in this. He created us to co-labor with him. He put his word in us to be the light to the world. So this idea that you can go on sinning because grace abounds and you're not under law anymore is a twisted, twisted, evil, if you will, grace. H have you ever heard somebody say or call somebody else an enabler? Well, you're just enabling them to do that, you know? <sighs> oh, Lord, help me. Don't let me get in trouble. I've watched the, those um, TV shows, The 600-Pound Life. Does anybody ever? Don't admit it. Keep your hands down. Don't admit it. <laughs> and the mercy and compassion. I'd be like, oh, and I just want to help them. And, you know, because I, I was a pretty hefty girl, you know. Hefty girl for a while. And, you know, I went through the surgery and everything. It was a lot of hard work. Don't just say I take the easy way. You have no idea. Anyway. So I am merging and badging, and then, you know, you hear these stories of these moms and dads, and they're feeding them more and more and more, and I'm like, stop being an enabler. So I'm yelling at the TV, you know, give them an apple and put away the cake, you know, stop enabling them, right, to get fatter, right? Well, the Holy Spirit, listen, the grace of God is not an enabler for you to sin. He empowers you to live righteously, to live holy. Actually, I think I wrote that scripture down. I'm getting ahead of myself. No, it's right there. Titus chapter 2. Grace does not enable the believer to sin. Grace empowers the believer to live holy. And Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all. All. It teaches. What is the it? Grace. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, grace teaches us to say no. Jesus gave his life to redeem us from all wickedness 
Why would he want us to pick it up again? That cost him so much. Why would he want you to do that? And then he said, I'm not only redeeming you. And, you know, he gave me a picture that I was like a pig in a, you know, his, his mud. And he scooped me up and he cleaned me off. And he set my feet on higher ground. Right? What? To go and do. To purify for himself a holy people eager to do. They were created to do. Carry his word. Carry his name. Carry his light. Carry his good news to the world. Why would he want me to go back into that mud? Why would he want me to go back into that life? Why would he want me to do that? Why would we? Let me ask you this. Why would we want to do that? Why? Knowing, and I think that's just it. That I think that you will continue to run back to what you were in when you don't understand how much it cost him to get you out of it. And you know that movie, The Passion of the Christ? That one wrecks me every time. The last time, I mean, I watched it at the movie theater when it first came out. I actually bought popcorn and had my pop set down in the theater. And for the most of the movie, I had to keep putting my head between my knees thinking, I'm just going to puke right here. I'm going to puke. And I had to keep telling myself, it's just a movie, just a movie. When the Holy Spirit was, no, that's real, that's real, that's real. You know, and I'm like, ugh. And then when we showed it at the church and had a viewing of it, I couldn't even watch it again. I hid underneath the sound booth and just with, you know, my ears plugged and rocking, Jesus, 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 you know. Knowing how much it cost him should wreck us to ever want to trample underfoot. Remember Hebrews 10 says, when you continue to sin, when you continue to go back into that, you trample underfoot the very blood of Christ. And what sacrifice? He's like, what more can I give? I gave it all. It, you know, the old saying is that it bankrupted heaven. To purchase you. And you, and until you understand how much it cost him to purchase you, you won't ever feel valued to stay out of that. Because who goes back to the, to the pig pen? The swine does. If you continue to look at yourself like I'm a, just a wretch, I'm horrible, I'm miserable, I'm no good. If you can't understand your value, you'll go back to that. But the minute you know how much it cost him and start understanding how much it cost him to purchase you, you'll never go back to that again. It just can't compare. And then he gives us the minute, the minute we say the divine yes to him, we take the ring. We take on his name. He gives us grace to teach us now how to live out righteousness, godliness, how to walk in his name. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Come on, you guys all know the song. Twas grace that taught my heart to what? Fear. Fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Not a, oh my goodness, he's going to hit me. He's going to slap me if I do wrong. No, a fear that I don't want to do anything that would hurt your heart, God. Why? Because we're in this divine covenant relationship together. 
all of me for all of you, all of you for all of me. We're in this together. I would not want to do anything that hurts your heart. Grace teaches you, teaches you. Her grace that taught my heart to fear. Grace will lead me home, right? How precious is that grace appeared the hour I first believed. The sinner is dead. The sinner is dead. When you say yes, that sinner is dead. And he said in verse 11, in the same way now, count yourself dead to sin. Dead to sin. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, said yes to Christ, what? He is a new man. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. And you are going to witness that today, that the old man is gone. Behold, all things are new. The new man lives. Who lives? The sinner is dead. The saint now lives. If we go on reading, here's what, so what are we supposed to do? The saints living, so what, do I just, you know, am I going to be zapped up to heaven, like beam me up, Scotty, here I am? No, you, you have a job to do now. Now you live. You live righteous. You need to reset your mind. You need to begin to walk his word. Walk his word wherever you go. Pastor Neil preached my message in the devotion this morning. Did anybody get that text? If you're not getting those texts, and I'm sorry, I'm going to put you on the line. It's not just for men. It's for anybody that wants it. I get those every day. I love them. I love them. And he was preaching my message this morning with the devotion. But if we continue to read on, the saint now lives. Verse 19, chapter 6 of Romans. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. I love that. See, I'm not offended that by that at all. Mm -hmm. What are those books that they create? That That, that is kind of offensive. Uh, uh, I just saw one. The Bible for Dummies. You know how they were doing everything? You know, Microsoft for dummies. You know, PowerPoint for dummies. You know, blah, blah, blah for dummies. And I remember, whatever it was, 10 years ago, when they first started coming out, and I'm like, I'll never buy a book that calls me a dummy. Never! And then I was sitting in the office of Pastor Kerry. I was just visiting with him. He's our presbyter. He's over these area uh, AG pastors in our area. Sitting there, and I looked over. He is a bookworm. That man loves books. Looked over. Bible for dummies. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. But this is basically what he's saying right here. And I'm putting this in human terms so you can understand. That he may, he's not dumbing it down, though. He's helping you know us. Okay, anyway. Moving on. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, 
The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, verse 19, it says, Just as you used to offer the parts of your body to impurity, to ever-increasing wickedness, which what did it result in? Death. What did it result Did you anything good come of that? Or are you just ashamed of everything you used to do when you were sent? Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. He said, just like you used to offer yourself that way, now offer yourself this way. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, brothers, I urge you, I urge you, in light of God's mercy, because he's so merciful to you, that he saved a wretch like you, he says, now offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to him, holy and pleasing. It should be your reasonable spiritual act of worship. Doesn't that just seem... I hate to say natural, but he gave his life for you. Shouldn't you offer your life to him? Yeah, that's what he's saying. Hello, don't that make sense? But living and ple he lived a sinless life. He was offered as the spotless lamb of God. So why should you not offer yourself? holy and pleasing to him as a living sacrifice. Everything you do, everything, I pray that a lot. Lord, let everything I say, everything I think, everything I do be pleasing to you as a living sacrifice, like an, a fragrant aroma. Now, do I screw up? Yeah, you bet. There, I probably did right there by saying that. But his love covers me. His love covers me. Will I continue? If he puts his finger on something and says, you know what? You don't need this any longer. This is actually keeping you from coming closer. Do you understand? God only limits himself by your willingness to come closer. He says, you come close to me, I'll come close to you. He's not going to... Baby shark, boop, boop, boop. No, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Somewhere I wasn't going. <laughs> he doesn't like attack you, jump on top of you, and you know, you're going to have all of me. No, he says, I'm going to give you as much as you give me. Oh, by the same measure you use. Well, that's talking about judgment. Yes, and. You want more of me? Give me more of you. Why? Because we're the vessel. He's the great river. <laughs> He's the living water. He's the more than enough. And he'll pour into us as much as we offer him to pour into. Living. Living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing. How do you do this? How do you live righteous? Live love. And I know this is a totally different message. Because... I, I hammer this one all the time. Live love. Live love. If you don't know what to do, live love. Because he can direct that. But not the world's idea of love. 
Okay, because that's twisted. Again, there's Satan. He's like, oh, God, you think all the law. He says all the law, all the commands. Hang on this. You want to fulfill all of this? Live love. So Satan goes, let's just twist that. Let's make it selfish. Let's make it about what you can give to me, how you can make me feel good. What can you do for me? And we'll call it love. And that's not love at all. 1 Corinthians 13, that whole definition, description of love that you'll hear at probably Deandra's, Deandra, Danae's wedding, right? At every wedding you go to, they, don't they usually quote? Come on, pastors, you preached it, right? You said it. They explain love is patient, kind, blah, 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 blah. Whole big list. Nowhere does it mark anything, define any selfishness in there at all. It is not contingent upon the receiver at all. It gives. It doesn't give and wait. Okay, now I'll give you more as soon as you get back to me. No, that's the world's definition of love. I'll only stay in this covenant relationship with you as long as you're meeting my need. Soon as you don't please me enough, soon as you don't do enough for me, make me feel all mooey gooey and Twitter pated all the time, you're out. That's the world's definition of love. Love, according to God, who is love, is unmerited, is unhindered, is unrestrained. It's without limit. It goes on forever and ever. That's why he gave the, uh, the one prophet, told him to go marry a prostitute. If you go back and read about that story, it's because he wanted this prophet to not only have the heart himself, but to show everybody the heart of God to live love unrestrained, without limit back. Doesn't matter how they treat you back, it's unrestrained. Love just does not end. Think about this. What if God loved like you're loving right now? What if God loved you the way you're loving others right now? Would you still be on your way to heaven? He makes all his good news. He, he puts all his good news and wraps it up in a package called us. And says, they'll know I love them by the love you have for each other. You are twisting God's love in the eyes of others because you're not living 1 Corinthians 13 love. And that's unhindered. Well, well, she, well, he, well, you, well, me. Right? Live love. You begin to live love and that 1 Corinthians 13 love I'm talking. There's absolutely no selfishness in that at all. You begin to live that love and you will be walking in righteousness. Let me tell you that. And you will attract. Let me just say, that's like the, the, the language. Love is like the language and I used it Wednesday night as the... Um, it, as the, like the, um, now I can't work. Anyway, you attract heaven. When you love like God loves, you attract heaven. 
Because it, it's, it, that's the language of heaven. That's the, uh, I, oh, I called it like the money of heaven. What do you give away? You, dollars? Eh, we'll talk about that next week. Dollars? No, it's just to get to your heart. Why? Because love is what matters. So you give away love, give away love, and then what we do, we sit around then and wait for somebody to give it back to us, right? I'm not feeling loved. <laughs> you know? Oh, if only they would. If only. And what are we doing? We're drawing from each other when we have the bank of heaven. And he says, you're settling for pennies, and I've got billions, trillions, quadruple, you know, make up your own word. You know? You're fighting over pennies and waiting for a penny back from somebody else, which, again, 1 Corinthians 13, is not even biblical. Nowhere does it say you can sit there and wallow in your misery and wallow in depression and wallow in self-guilt, whatever, because nobody's loving you enough. It doesn't say that. It just says continually keep loving others. Continually. Continue. Why? Because then he'll keep pouring in. You keep giving out, he keeps pouring in. You're like, I like this. I like this. He keeps pouring in. Yeah, make it rain in here. All right. Reset your thinking. So live righteous, which is just live holy, which is just living love. Reset your thinking. And we really got after this one on Wednesday night, which, by the way, uh, we've decided we're retitling Wednesday night because it's become so much more than just a prayer meeting. Uh, we're doing a disservice by not letting you know it's a midweek service. It really is. We have everything. We have worship. We have the word, which is unhindered now. But we also have prayer. We have testimonies. We have application time where we start applying. We're training. We're equipping. It's more hands-on on Wednesday nights. You not being here it is, is hurting you. Really, hurting the body, hurting you. Midweek service, Wednesdays. Uh, soaking starts at 630 um, the service starts at 7. Get here. 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Wednesday night, we really hammered this one about resetting your thinking. And Romans 12, after verse 1, where it says, you know, offer yourselves a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God. Verse 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but transform, Right? But transform, now I'm going to get it wrong if I don't read it here. Eh. Oh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform, the prefix trans, means to be changing thoroughly. Trans, changing thoroughly. The word formed, God formed us out of the dust of the earth. He breathed into us his life, created in his image. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind means to be changed thoroughly into the image of God. How? It says by renewing your mind. That word renewing is like the old uh, game councils where they used to have that reset button. It's like, oh, the game is going bad. Reset. Or, I'm sorry, I play solitary on my phone sometimes. And all of a sudden, when it starts getting not easy, not fun, new game. 
Oh, I'm starting to lose. New game. Right? Who likes to lose? Come on. I love that reset button. That's what he's saying. That renewing of your mind. Reset. 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 It's a reset button. Again, I preached it before. There's two. There's only one thing, and it says it in two different places. One that will separate you from the love of God. He said, nothing. All oh, uh, heaven, high, low, uh, you know, present, things to come, you know. It cannot separate you from the love of God. One thing he omits, your past. Why? If you stay chained to your past, you can't come closer to God. You can't get more of God. That whole, you know, the fountain pouring into your cup. If you stay over here and I'm a miserable wretch and horrible and awful and, you know, chained to our past, we can't come under his divine love and be filled. And then the other place where it says that your inheritance, you are given, and he names your inheritance, everything that he's given you. When you say the divine yes, take the ring on your finger, covenant relationship, you take on his name, all he has is now yours. Right, ladies? That's why we wait for the good one to come along, right? Anyway, sorry. But all he has is yours, and he lists your inheritance. This is all yours. You're in the and he listed everything all over, under the earth, in the earth, above the earth, present. He says future. You actually you're inheriting the future. Only thing he admits from that is your past. Why? Because he purchased that. It's no longer yours anymore. That's not part of you took on his name. That name is no longer yours. And so he says to be transformed, be continually changing thoroughly into the image of God by resetting, reset the way you think. Then, that scripture goes on to say, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's pleasing and perfect will is. You ever see Christians walking around like a, a chicken with their head cut off? I don't know what God wants me to do. What does God want me to do? I don't know what he wants me to do. Why? Because right here, you haven't stopped conforming to the thinking, the pattern of the world. You haven't began to let your mind be changed thoroughly into the image of God. Reset. Reset the way you think. Start thinking like God. Hello? Start thinking like God. Why? Because he's in me. It's his name I bear. I carry him. Reset your thinking. The life in Christ is not a life separate from Christ. That There was this day that I asked Jesus into my heart, and now what do you do? Well, I go to church once a week. Oh, okay. How did that change you? You know, it's not, I do Monday through Saturday, and then I come to church on Sunday, and I get all of God to go out and do Monday through Saturday. Do you realize you carry him wherever you go? He is with you wherever you go. You carry his name. He's in you. You're in him. So when you go to work on Monday, you go with God to work. But I, I punch it out. I'm working for my boss. No, he says you work onto him. You do your job onto him. So everything you're doing, you do for him. It changes the way you do life entirely. Why? Because it's not you doing life and 
adding God to it and putting a little bracelet on your arm saying, you know, what would Jesus do? You know, it's he's in me. Now I'm not doing life for him. I'm doing it as him. Change the way you clean those little baby's butts in the nursery, won't it? Because you're changing those diapers as him. You'll do your job differently at work. Why? Because you're not doing it just for him. You're doing it as him. How would God do your job? How would God go get your groceries? I mean, here's a thought for you. If you're saying something or doing something you can't see God doing, who are you? If you're a Christian and he's in you and you're doing, you're, he's in you. So everything you do, you do as him. If you're doing something that he wouldn't do or saying something he wouldn't say, who are you? Double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways, being twisted by the enemy to believe that it's okay to, I don't know, have this. You know they lock people up for split personalities? And that's what you would be living a dual life, split personality. One second, praise the Lord. Next second, right? They lock people up for that. And the third thing is obey God's word. Walk in his word. Don't just be hearers of his word. Do his word. I love that. It's in James. I love James. I think it is James. No, I'm saying that. Where it says that, you know, I, the argument was, oh, you can't have faith without deeds, right? And they're like, well, some have faith and some have deeds. He's like, oh, that's not true. <laughs> Trying to be good here. He says, you show me your deeds by what you believe, by your faith. Oh, what? You can't do that? Well, here, let me show you my faith by what I do. Why? They'll know, they will know that I love them by your love you have for each other. So how we treat others, how we do life, how you work at your job, how you get your gas at the gas station, how you go through that checkout line, when people are all upset because it's taken them two minutes now and this person still isn't ringing up and we got to go. And how you do that, they'll know that he loves them. Don't just be hearers. Everything you do, your deeds will show, will shout God loves them. It should. Let me say it that way. Here's your homework. And I'm getting this close to closing. This close to closing. Here's your homework. Read 1 John. Don't read chapter 1 of John. In the back of the Bible, there's three short little books. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. There's five chapters in the book of 1 John. Five chapters. You can do that this week. Read 1 John. Just in these five short chapters, love your brother is mentioned nine times. Obey God, walk as Jesus did, do his will, is mentioned 14 times. But here's the kicker. The phrase, this is how we know, 
is stated over 22 times. You must know what you know. You must know what you believe. You must know what you're commanded to do because just like the speed limit, you will be held responsible. You must know what you're commanded to do. You must know what you believe because you will all, we all will stand before God and have to give an account. And I'll tell you, it, those words won't even be able to form on your lips. Well, I didn't know. As a matter of fact, I can't see any excuses even making them to your lips on the day of judgment because they'll just fall, fall flat every time. Because how can, look at all I've given you. Look at all I've given you. Look at all I've, can't you just hear him saying that? Look at all I've given you. Look at all I've given you. You're, yeah, buts, well, but maybe if, they'll just fall short. They just won't make it. It won't matter. So it's our responsibility to know what we know. To know that we know that we know that we know. 1 John 5, just small little book, five chapters. It's so impactful to know. I love it when he says, this is how we know. This is how we know. This is how we know. Listen, here it is. I'm wrapping it up. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, three things you must do. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. You call yourself a Christian, you better be denying yourself, picking up your cross and following me. You want to be my disciples? Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. I was just explaining to, uh, I think it was my son. When it's so easy, the enemy makes it so easy to turn on someone, doesn't it? And stand against someone. Well, look at what they're preaching. Well, look at what they're saying. Well, look at what they're doing. And all of a sudden, you know, we have an opinion for everybody and everything. And we have a judgment, even though we don't want to call it a judgment, for everybody and everything and what they should do and what they shouldn't do, right? And I text this to my son. And I said, in my mind, I see a courtroom. And there's one judge. Myself. And Jesus. And at the opposing table is our enemy, right? Plaintiff and defendant. And over at the other table where the enemy stands, he'll be pointing his finger over at me, demanding that the judge send me to hell, right? Right? But I want Jesus right here at this table with me, right? I want him as my defender. I, because then he's the one that stands in front of his father. And when he extends his hand, doesn't matter what finger that little man over there is pointing at me, right? And I, I text my son. And I said, when we throw somebody else into that courtroom, whose table do we want to be standing behind? With that person do you really want to be standing behind the accusers table pointing fingers at them or do you want to be standing with Jesus 
defending them and extending love and extending mercy and extending forgiveness because there's only two tables in the courtroom so you be very quick to extend mercy and extend forgiveness because you do anything else and whose table are you standing behind when he said deny yourself pick up your cross and follow me and I don't know why I got off on that for a minute if you want to be my disciple deny yourself what were we just talking about the way you used to offer yourself to sin now offer yourself to righteousness to live holy to reset your mind to walk out his word to obey his word the same you know anticipation you had for that late night hour to get to wherever you were going let's just say that have for the desire and the anticipation to get in his word get in his presence get with the fellowship of believers deny yourself pick up your cross and let me say this in the first John the, the scriptures you all will be reading over this next week I, I think it's so important to understand that he said carry your cross pick up your cross and follow me because if he would have said go to your cross stay at your cross sit at your cross where's your past it's nailed to the cross where do you receive forgiveness at the cross now if you are walking with Jesus and your cross remains over there you'll constantly have to return to that cross but he said pick it up and carry your cross and in 1st John you'll read it says when you do this when you carry your cross crucify in the dying daily to self denying yourself carrying your cross the blood of Jesus cleanses the blood from that cross continues to drip over you as you walk continues to cleanse you as you carry your cross why because you're leaving the past behind do you see that leaving that past leave the last hour was your past yesterday was your past it's in the past your his mercies are new every morning should remind you as much as you need that and forgiveness for that you need to be extending it deny yourself pick up your cross and follow me he said as the father sent me now I send you now go preach the good news heal the sick raise the dead why freely you receive freely give and that's when he said now you're gonna do greater things than even I did why because he's at the father's side the Holy Spirit is in us the two are interceding for us he's empowered us with grace and he says now go Everywhere you go, the kingdom of God. Everywhere you go, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God. And he said, love everyone. Follow me. Listen, disciple. I'm sorry. I made this little acrostic thing, if you call it acrostic, kind of, sort of. I took the word disciple, and God showed me on a Sunday morning real quick the word disciple broken up into three sections. Dis. D-I-S, C-I-P, and L-E. And he said, you always want to keep focused on what a disciple means? Look at the word disciple. D-I-S, dis, dis, 
diss yourself. Yeah, see, all those under 30 know exactly what that means, right? Diss yourself. Forget it. Deny yourself. Stop thinking about yourself. Keep your eyes off yourself. Deny yourself. CIP, cross in peace. Carry your cross in peace. Those who sow peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. Carry your cross in peace. And LE, love everyone. Wherever you go, love everyone. Diss yourself. Carry your cross in peace and love everyone. Wow, is that a simple explanation of a disciple? Well, what we're going to do today is water baptism. And I mean, we are in a holy moment right now, so I don't want anybody to get distracted. I want you to stay focused. Um, but if you're getting water baptized today, would you slip out quietly and go get ready if you're not already in your water baptism clothes and then slip back in quietly and and come over to the side here so that we know that everybody's here and everybody's ready um, but we're going to move into the altar time right now while those are getting ready I've got to say that I felt this in pre-service prayer that there's some of you here today that you need to be water baptized Because you've been living the Christian life in your old man. You've been a Christian for however long, I don't know, but you've been living in that old man. And today's a day where you need to make a decision no longer. It's no longer I who live. I am dead to sin, and from now on, it's Christ who lives in me. In me now, the new man, behold all things have become new and there's decisions that need to be made today and you're like well how can I get baptized I didn't sign up I didn't fill out the application me and Pastor Neil will be standing right over here and you come and talk to us as we're doing the water baptism you get lined up and if we can find something if you're wearing something inappropriate that wouldn't look good whatever maybe look too good what, anyway we'll help you I think Pastor Neil was bringing something no yes yeah, he brought a couple t-shirts even, just in case there's any last minute, because you need to make a decision today that that old man's got to die. Behold, all things have become new. I was sprinkled when I was a baby. Immersion. Assemblies of God believes in immersion. Why? Because Jesus did, for one thing. For another thing, if we're supposed to be all in him, we need to crucify everything to everything, everything down, everything buried. Behold, all things are new, and the new man will come up. All right, can I have you stand? We are really going to open up the altars right now. This is going to be a time where healing. And was there anyone, can I just ask before we move any farther, was that word of knowledge for anyone? Did anybody have an ear that was bugging them and it was opened up during worship? It was opened up. Pastor Neil whispered over at me. He goes, that could have been spiritual ears because that's what Amy said. Yeah, but I like physical things too. He cares about us physically. Don't make everything spiritually. He cares about you physically too. He says he came to save completely. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What does the next verse, verse 17, say? He didn't send his world to save some. 
He didn't send his son into the world to save some. He sent his son to save the world completely. That is sozo. There's a lot of movement around and we need to stop that. We need to stop right now. We're in a holy time right now. And I, I really believe that we do a disservice to God, the Holy Spirit, when he's trying to move on hearts and we're distracting. He sent his son to save you completely. That means emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Save completely. That's why Jesus used those words interchangeably. You're forgiven. You're healed. You're forgiven. You're healed. To some he said you're forgiven and yet they were healed. To some he said you're, you're healed and yet they were forgiven too because they leaped and they danced. Because it's saving them completely. I want to go back to what I was saying earlier. Because it was one of the parables that Jesus talked about. He said the kingdom of heaven is like. And he gave this parable of this hidden treasure. This pearl of great price. That this man found in a field. He saw this treasure and he just had to have the treasure. So he went and sold everything so he could buy that field. Why? To redeem that treasure. To have that treasure as his own. That pearl of great price. That there was a merchant who went around and looking at all the different jewels. And then he found this one that was so valuable to him. He just had to have it. He went and sold everything. Why? So he could purchase that pearl of great price. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of God is just like that. That he looked upon the earth and he saw you. And he said, you are my pearl of great price. And he bankrupted heaven. He sold all he had. He gave all he had to redeem you, to purchase you as his own. And so Jesus gets down on one knee, holds out the ring, and says, you're the one for me. Will you come into a covenant relationship with me? Will you take upon yourself my name? And so with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to ask yourself these two things. Number one, if you've already have, if you already have that ring on your finger, you've said that divine yes to, to God at some time in your life. Have you been living that covenant relationship holy and pleasing unto him as your living sacrifice, your reasonable worship? If you haven't and you're ready today to start, this is it. I want you to raise your hand so just I'll see you. This is it. Today's the day. I'm taking serious my covenant relationship with God. It's him and I. Nothing else. I see your hand. Him and I. Today's the day. 
The second question is if you've never said yes. Or maybe you had, but you know your heart went after others. And you've been so far away from God lately that you know it's time to come back. If that's you, would you raise your hand just so I can see you? I want to pray with you. This is it. I'm saying yes today. Yes today. I see your hand. Today's the day. This is it. People. Look at me. This is it. There's no more time for playing church. Come on. If you think that the apostles felt it back then... That the end is near. Time is short. Hurry up. Get yourself ready. Be found doing what he told us to be doing. How much more do you think our time is short now? I hope you felt a very big spiritual kick in the butt today. Because I've got, I mean, as much as I was swinging this way with my foot, my foot was coming back and swinging me. It just shouldn't compare. Nothing can compare. So why do we keep busying ourselves and doing other things and making excuses? There's no more time for that. It's now, now, now. It's now.